Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have near-death experiencer, Dr. Yvonne Kaysen. And Yvonne's near-death experience is one that I have not heard before on this show. She died in a plane crash, had a near-death experience, and was able to come back. During her near-death experience, she watched the plane crash, what happened afterwards, what was going on with her body, not to mention what was going on on the other side. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. Yvonne Kaysen. How are you doing, Dr. Yvonne? I'm doing just great. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my dear. It is, uh, you've had a <laughs> an interesting life to say the least uh, so far. And you've, uh, you've had five near-death experiences, which we'll talk about a few of them in this conversation. First question I have to say, the first thing I have to say to you is, what are you doing? Stop it. I mean, you're dying way too much in one <laughs> lifetime. Generally, you get the one, you've done five already. You're getting greedy. <laughs> I look at it completely differently. I look at it as a blessing. Sure, I look at it as a blessing that I've been on the other side five times. And I look mm-hmm. at it as it was part of the divine plan for my life because spirit um, called me this incarnation to be a pioneer, the first Canadian medical doctor to specialize in counseling people who've had near-death experiences and other spiritually transformative experiences. And how spirit got me to do that was by giving me these experiences so that I knew firsthand they're not crazy, that they're very, very real. And in fact, they're positively transforming. They're they're mm-hmm. not mental illness or some of the other things that they're mislabeled as. Mm-hmm. Well, first question: What was your life like before your your not your first near death experience? Because I know those were when you were children. When I but, was five was my yeah. first near death experience. But you didn't know they were near death experiences, correct? No, I didn't. I, I you know as a child you don't have a sense of what is paranormal or what everybody else experiences. So both my childhood near death experiences, one at age five and one at age 11, I never classified them as paranormal. They were just like stuff that happened to me. And for all I knew, the same sort of things were happening to everybody else. And it was only maybe about five years ago that uh, when I was actually preparing a presentation on my adult near-death experiences, because by that time I'd had three, something kept niggling in my consciousness to look at those childhood experiences and count how many near-death experience um, features they had. You know, and that's how you sort of count up how many features. Yep, it has enough features that counts as a near-death experience. And I was shocked and surprised that 
oh my goodness, both these childhood experiences, they qualify as near-death experiences. And like, but somehow, you know, it never connected in my consciousness till five years ago that that's what they were. So, all right. So let's talk about well, when when you're after 11 to your first near-death experience, were you as an, spirit, adult. <laughs> as an adult, were you um, spiritual? What was your life like prior to you realizing you had near-death experiences? I think I was influenced by them and didn't realize that even as a teenager, for example, take that for example, because I now know as an afterthought from my five-year-old near-death experience, I started having out-of-body experiences, but I didn't know they were out-of-body experiences. I didn't have a label for that. As a little kid, I thought I could fly and, mm-hmm. and, and I couldn't figure out what I would try to do it it wouldn't work. And when I had such clear memory of what I thought was flying. So now I know those are out of body experiences. So my consciousness was already starting to open to uh, the spiritual and paranormal, but I didn't realize it. And then as an 11 year old, when I had my um, second childhood near death experience, the after effect of that experience was that I could see ghosts. I could see mm-hmm. spirits, which we now know is a very common after effect of near-death experiences that people get mediumistic abilities. So even when I was a teenager, although I had not categorized these experiences as anything spiritual or paranormal, I think it 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 caused me to be more open-minded. And even as a teenager, I was very um uh interested in alternative worldviews and you know my big idols when I was a teenager the Beatles you know and they went to India and 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 so I started getting interested even at that age in learning about yoga about eastern philosophy I was raised a Christian um I love the teachings about love but I didn't necessarily agree with all the dogma so I, I was like that already even before I had my first adult near-death experience But when I had my first adult near-death experience, which actually happened at the age of 23, because at 23, sorry, that wasn't near-death experience. It was my first adult spiritually transformative experience. I had what I now realize was a kundalini awakening with a mystical experience. And you know, hardly anybody knows about Kundalini awakening today. Imagine back then, 40 years ago, nobody had heard of Kundalini awakening. I had taken a meditation course at university. I was in medical school in my last year. And this course, you know, they advertise it'll help you relax, be calm so you can study better and do better on your exams. So I was studying for my final medical school exams. I thought, great, I'll take this course. I'll, I'll be able to get better marks on my exams. And when I took this meditation course, I felt natural, like it was a fit. And I now think that's like past life memories. I've meditated in many past lives because I immediately loved it. I started meditating for almost an hour in the morning, hour in the evening. And after about three months of doing that, I had this experience while I was meditating of, of, of hearing this loud inner roaring sound, like, like the, the roar of a waterfalls. And I felt this really strong rise of energy go up my body and my consciousness slipped up out of my body but it expanded too and though I was no longer like the size of me but I felt like I was now filling this vast expanse of fit space and then I started feeling this incredible feeling of love you have the word love behind your head there in the background mm-hmm. I just felt this incredible love 
And I mean, I didn't know any better. I was young. You know, I thought, oh, this is what everyone experiences when they meditate. And I finally got my technique right. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, no wonder people love to meditate. This is so incredible. So I stayed in that expansive state of love until my meditation ended. And then my consciousness contracted back down. And much to my surprise and disappointment, I wasn't able to replicate that each time that I meditated. But this had be was beginning now to open my consciousness even further as I look back. Because you say, what was I like before I had my near first adult near-death experience? So this was when I was 23. And I started having these unusual bodily symptoms that 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 um, I now know are related to an active kundalini because once the kundalini begins once it has its first awakening it continues to some degree for the rest of your life particularly if you're stimulating it through meditating and I was I was still meditating every day and um I was feeling these rushes of energy up my spine. I could see feel swirls of energy in my body, like particularly at my chakra points, you know, the energy points along the, the spine. I started noticing that I was becoming more intuitive, that I could pick up on other people's feelings. Like, and I would know whether they were saying the truth or not, <laughs> you know, because I could feel it in my body. So, so unusual things were happening to me, but you know, I was a medical student and I had to focus on my exams. So I tried to push this out of my mind as much as I could. But then when I was finishing my residency, when I was 26 is when I had my first adult near death experience in a medevac plane crash. Let's dive into that. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> that near death experience, my dear. What I, what happened? Like generally, plane crashes you don't walk away from. So I'm dying to hear. No pun intended. What <laughs> what happened? Well, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. This happened in Northern Ontario, Canada. I was assigned to work uh, as part of my residency training uh, for a month in Northern Ontario with um, the Native Indian communities. And um, on this particular day, I was assigned on a medevac by a small airplane. So it was a very small twin engine propeller plane called a Piper Aztec to do a medevac of a critically ill Native Indian woman from where I was in a small community hospital in a place called Sioux Lookout. Uh, we were, I was to accompany her to the largest nearby hospital, which was Winnipeg, which was about an hour away by plane. And so uh, the patient was very critically ill. Just so you know, she was intubated with a tube into her airway, which she had this bag that I had to be compressing an ambu bag to keep her breathing. She had intravenouses in both arms. The, the nurse was tending to the intravenouses. Um, and the patient the nurse, myself, and the oxygen tank, we filled the plane. That was how small the plane was. And then in front of us was the pilot in the co-pilot seat. Of course, there was a pilot and the oxygen tank was in the co-pilot seat. So it's a little tiny little twin propeller plane. Anyway, as we were flying in the air, I was tending to the patient. I wasn't really, you know, looking so much at what the pilot was doing. But if you've ever been in a propeller airplane, you know, the motors are really loud and you can hear them. And so I was only like, you know, 10 feet from each of the motors so I could really hear the noise of both of the motors. 
all of a sudden, I could hear that the noise from one of the engines had stopped and the propeller was like sputtering to a stop when I looked out the window and I shout out to the pilot, what's going on? What's going on? And there he is, you know, he's pushing levers, pulling things, doing stuff like you could tell he was like desperately trying to get the engine going again. And you have to remember this so small. I was like right, right behind him. I could see everything he was doing. And but he managed to get that engine going again. Thank goodness. And um, then so I went back to tend to my, the patient. And then um, a few minutes later, all of a sudden, I heard the left engine, the opposite engine sputter to a stop. And again, I'm going like, what's going on? What's going on? And again, he the pilot was pulling levers, pushing stuff, trying to get the engine going. And then, then the right one conked again so that we had no engines going. Now, uh, my reaction, um, immediate is probably what most people's reaction would be, was like immediate intense fear and panic. And I remember because the plane was going down and we were in a snowstorm. We'd flown, flown into a really bad snowstorm and there was really heavy winds. And the plane, if you want to know what it's like when a plane is crashing, it's like really severe turbulence, like the worst turbulence I'd ever been in. And the plane was bouncing like crazy, going down to the ground. The pilot's trying to steer it to try and get us not to crash into trees. He was trying to guide us. He was trying to do a, a wheels up belly landing onto the surface of a, a frozen lake uh, to avoid us being killed, crashing into trees but my immediate reaction was intense fear and panic and I remember it just leapt out of my heart like a reflex like oh god help I'm gonna die and that thought and I guess that is close enough to a prayer because that is when my near-death experience started it was actually before the plane hit the ground and so the plane's still going down and all of a sudden I started feeling it was like a force field of peace that was descending upon me. And it literally was pushing down my fear. And I felt this incredible sense of calm and of peace. And then I heard a voice in my mind and it was a masculine voice. And I've never heard an inner voice before this point in my life. And the voice very clearly spoke, be still and know that I am God. I am with you now and always. And with those words, there was just this incredible, I guess, mystical sensation of peace that just permeated me. I was still fully conscious. The plane had not crashed yet. I then turned and I started comforting the patient because she'd woken up and she was looking at me with these really terrified eyes. And I said to her somehow with absolute knowing it to be true, it's going to be okay. And I meant that it's going to be okay whether we lived or died, like because at that point, I had no idea what the outcome was. But I knew somehow in my soul that no matter what happened, it was going to be okay. Well, the pilot really heroically, and he was commended afterwards, did manage to avoid crashing into the trees. He did, with the wheels up, do a belly landing onto a partially frozen lake. But when the plane stopped skidding on the ice and came to a, thaw, a stop, the weight of the plane very rapidly broke the thin ice, nosedived, and then sunk into very, very deep water. So we all had to get out of the plane while the plane was rapidly sinking. 
Um, I managed to pull the nurse and the patient out, uh, sorry, the nurse out. And together, she and I tried to pull the patient out, but we were not able to. She was wedged in the doorway of the plane when the plane nosedived and went down. The pilot went out the other door. And then, you know, we lo I looked around and uh, to evaluate my situation. And I saw that we had um, crashed and the plane had sunk right at the edge of ice right by open water between us and the closest shore. So the closest land, which was an island, was maybe 200 yards away. And what was separating me and us from the land was this open water with a strong, fast-moving current. It turns out that the place that I crashed is called Devil's Gap <laughs> on Lake of the Woods by Kenora. And it's called Devil's Gap because of the really strong current that is treacherous both in the summer and in the winter in the winter the ice doesn't freeze there because of the strong current so uh i heard the voice in my head again and it said swim to shore and i remember this is you know i was shall we say inexperienced with spiritual experiences and higher guidance because what i remember i mentally argued with this voice you know no I've taken lifeguarding. They say you're not supposed to swim to shore. You're going to drown if you swim to shore. And the pilot was shouting, shouting, try to get on the ice, try to get on the ice. And so instead of listening to my inner guidance, I turned away from the, the, the shore and I swam towards the ice and I tried to get on the ice. Well, the ice was too thin and it, it took a tremendous amount of struggle. And you have to remember, this is in the winter in Canada. It was below zero. Uh, it was in the middle of a blizzard, strong winds. I was wearing a heavy winter coat, heavy winter boots in the water. They were just carrying me down like dead weights. And it took a lot of energy just trying to stay on, on, on the surface, trying to get on the ice, but it, it would, I could not get on the ice. It was too thin. The voice repeated, swim to shore. And finally, the third time the voice said, swim to shore, I finally stopped struggling <laughs> and I turned and I started swimming to shore. Now, it was a really long and a really difficult swim. And part way to swimming to shore is when my near-death experience deepened. And what happened was all of a sudden I heard this whooshing, roaring noise again, similar to what I heard in the Kundalini awakening. <sighs> And then suddenly I found my consciousness maybe 20 or 30 feet above my body. And, but you know, it's more complicated than that because my body was still alive. My body was still trying to swim to shore. So it was actually like my consciousness was two places at the same time. And I compare it to like a split screen TV where you have the big image and you have the little tiny image. The big image of my consciousness or most of my consciousness was up above my body, you know, maybe 20 or 30 feet above my body. But there was still the little image, a little part of my consciousness that was in my physical body, desperately trying to swim to shore at the same time. Then what happened is the bulk of my consciousness went higher and I went into this place or realm or state of consciousness. It's hard to know what to call it. That was this incredible place state realm that was filled with his beautiful soft white light soft glistening bright white light it was a dark and stormy day in the world down below but where i went to was this incredible beautiful white light 
which we now have heard about from other people in near-death experiences. But back then, I hadn't not heard about that. I'd not read about near-death experiences. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, but for me, the most profound part of that experience was not the light, but it was the love. It was the incredible, perfect, powerful, unconditional love that was just permeating me. I felt like I was home. I felt like this was where I belonged. And and while I was in this realm of light, I just knew things. Not I didn't like hear a, vo- a voice explaining things to me. No, nothing like that. Although I did for a second, I did see a face of light, a luminous face of light, and then it sort of shifted into the cloud-like perimeter. But it's just somehow my soul absorbed or knew new things. And what my soul knew or remember, it's hard to say, just knew, is that I knew that this incredible love that I was feeling was the love of the higher power or what I had been raised to call God. And what I was experiencing God to be was not anything like what I'd been taught God supposedly was like. It was not like an old man with a long white beard sitting on a throne judging me if you've been good and bad, which is what I'd been taught. But what I was actually experiencing was the higher power, whatever name you want to call it, Allah, Brahman, the force, I use the word God, that the higher power was like an infinitely intelligent, infinitely present, infinitely loving force field (laughs) that's like interpenetrating all of reality, past, present, future. Um, And, and I also knew while I was in the white light, somehow in my soul, I knew that whether my body that was still struggling to swim to shore below lived or died really didn't matter because me, what I think of as me will continue to live on even if my bo- even if my body down there um doesn't manage to make it to shore well through a whole bunch of coincidences and miracles i talk about it all in my new book soul lessons from the light which is my mm-hmm. new memoir book that just came out um i talk about uh, all the miracles that led to my rescue but just i'm just going to cut the story a bit short so we'll have time to get to some of my my more recent near-death experience that um heroically through a series of coincidences and miracles it all unfolded that i was able to swim to shore i made it and so did the pilot that um a helicopter by coincidence had touched down about five miles from where we had crashed and by coincidence there was an air canada plane directly over us that heard our mayday message when we crashed relayed the message to the ground helicopter pilots who actually didn't even know each other they just met because they were grounded got in the helicopter looked for us, were able to find us, and were wow. able to drive, uh, bl- fly us to the, the closest hospital. And I remember... Mm-hmm. Well, before you before you cut the, sh- the, the, the near-death experience short, when you're in this other realm, 
How did you come back to the body? How did that finish off? I'm about to tell you. Good, I'm about good. to tell you. Okay. Because I'm still out of body and partly yeah. in my body throughout the rescue. You know, I'm watching from above as they land on the hospital driveway oh. and the emergency staff come out with their stretchers and, you know, put me on the stretcher. They wheel me in the emergency department. And then finally, they resuscitated me because I was hypothermic, which means I was almost frozen to death. And I was a near drowning victim. And uh, they warmed me, they resuscitated me by rewarming my body by putting me in the hot whirlpool bath in the physiotherapy department. And it's there that I felt my consciousness reenter my body. And what that experience was, was like, it's like, Slam. How they depict on TV a genie being sucked into a bottle. I was just suddenly from this big expansive space above my body, I was sucked in. It felt like through the top of my head into the smaller confines of my physical body. And then I was back. And I remember saying as I'm rubbing my frozen hands against my legs in the hot water, I'm back, I'm back, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. <laughs> so that's how I reentered my body. Now, it took me a really long time to figure out what on earth this was and to put a name to this experience. And I remember when I talked to, I was off work for a couple months afterwards because of the frostbite and the near drowning and everything. And I mean, the impact was so profound on me and, and positive and spiritual. I, I just felt like I brought back some of the love with me. I was like, I was drunk with love and I was just oozing love. And I look at the squirrels playing on my front lawn. <laughs> and I, I feel waves of love for the squirrels you know, or for children on the street. I just was oozing love. But I also came back with an enhanced capacity to forgive. Because mm -hmm. my father and I had been feuding for many years, you know, as young people do, right? And we hadn't been speaking. We weren't on good terms. And after this experience, I phoned up my dad and I said, dad, I love you. Let's be friends. And we reconciled and we had seven wonderful years of a loving father-daughter relationship before he died. I'm so grateful. To, I feel it's like a gift from God that I got out of this near-death experience that I had those seven precious years of relationship with my dad. And you see, nothing about my dad had changed. He still had the, you know, whatever it was that used to bother me so much in his personality. It was, I had changed, you know, that those little things weren't important to me anymore. What was important to me was the love that we shared. And, and you know, the I had other changes after that experience which I now know, of course, was my first adult near-death experience. Um, and one for sure was I absolutely lost my fear of death because I absolutely knew that we will live on, all of us, not just me, all of us, we will live on after we die. Secondly, I absolutely knew that the higher power was real, no matter what name we call it, whether we believe in it or not, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. sort of like gravity you might say i don't believe in gravity well it's still real it still works whether you believe in it or not and doesn't matter what name we call the higher power i i came back with a very broadened spiritual perspective i just got it that all the world's religions were trying to understand the same one truth but it was like climbing mountains from different angles you know mm -hmm. so they were having different perspectives depending on you know which angle they're climbing from but once you get to the top 
you all discover, oh, it's the same one source that we've all been trying to understand, the same one peak uh, realization of our true nature. <laughs> so let me ask you, when you came back, the psychological processing of this experience is step is one one question I have for you. And secondly, as you're saying, you're different. You came back with a different energy. What did the people around you, your friends, your colleagues, your family, you know, when you came out of this near-death experience closet or this new spiritual version of yourself, how did the world accept you or reject you? Well, I would say uh, it forced me into the closet for about 12 years. <laughs> okay, so it did, yeah. I, it did, yeah, because I tried to talk to people about what I'd experienced, but I just didn't get any understanding or validation or even support uh, around me. When I, right. when, I tried, when I tried to talk to my medical colleagues, I mean, they all oh. knew I wasn't crazy, but they'd listen and they'd say, well, you know, Yvonne, it must have been a hallucination, you know, hallucination brought on by an electrolyte imbalance or a low blood sugar. And, and, you know, I knew as a medical doctor, I'd seen lots of people with low blood sugars and electrolyte imbalances. No, they did not have life changing spiritual experiences like this. And um, when I, so I learned to stop talking about it and seemingly, seemingly with fam the same with family and friends, like, I just, to be safe, I had to stop talking about it. So I, I became what I call a closet mystic. <laughs> so I was in the closet and I was leading a double life that, which was my outer life. You know, here I was, I was a medical doctor and I went to practice. I got a faculty position at the University of Toronto, blah, 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 you know, very successful medical career. My in the closet life in private was that I was a mystic and spiritual seeker. I mean, I was avidly meditating. I was reading every book I could find on mystical experiences, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, psychic awakenings, kundalini awakenings from many different traditions. Synchronistically, I had traveled to India in 1977 with my meditation group, and I'd met Gopi Krishna, who had talked about kundalini awakening and introduced me to the yogic model of consciousness. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so I found the yogic model of consciousness was actually the best model to that helped me understand what was happening to me because I was I started having repeated experiences, different types of psychic phenomenon, sometimes mystical experiences, mystical visions when I was meditating. Um, and in the yogic model, this is understood that this is all part of our spiritual unfoldment process. And it was uh, in the 80s that I first uh, was introduced to the writings of Paramahansa Yogananda, which got me uh, even a deeper understanding, experiential understanding by following his meditation techniques. And the other, the other source that really, really helped me, believe it or not, was Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, because mm -hmm. he has a whole chapter in there describing states of consciousness that can happen during, you know, your spiritual awakening process. And I, I understand that. I'm experiencing that. Yeah, I understand. I'm experiencing that. So I, I led this sort of double life. But something interesting was happening over these 10 to 12 years that I was in the closet professionally. 
people started hearing about me and people were coming out of the woodwork and wanting to see me as a patient in my office. And then they were in the closet about their spiritual experiences and they were looking for somebody to validate them about their spiritual experiences. And so I started developing this clinical experience as in addition to my research of reading about it, I studied with various spiritual teachers over the years, learning more. So I had my personal experiences. I had my clinical experience now from all these people that were telling me their spiritual story, awakening stories and all I'd learned through my research. And then in 1990, I had a very strong uh, mystical experience that I describe in my book. <laughs> I call it my calling mystical experience because I was walking on the sand dunes in uh, Monterey, California. I had just been at a conference that was on Kundalini and um, I had been asked to speak on Kundalini because people had heard that I had traveled to India and I'd learned from Gopi Krishna about Kundalini and um we had done a uh, a sharing circle in the evening, uh, a friend and I, who, uh, and we said, if anybody would like to talk to us about their experiences, we'll be available for you to talk about your experiences. So this was in 1990. And we didn't know if anybody would show up, but we were flooded. There were so many people and we divided into groups and everybody in my group, like one after the other, after the other was telling me the story about their spiritual awakenings, and their Kundalini experiences and how they were mislabeled and pathologized and told they were crazy or put in the psychiatric hospital or the church said it was work of the devil. And mm -hmm. I was so deeply moved by this experience it's like it cracked my heart open I was profoundly moved and I was walking on the sand dunes afterwards in Monterey California and all of a sudden I felt like this oof, force field of light descended upon me and it just cracked my consciousness open and where my head used to be became like a sun radiating light in all directions and I didn't hear any words spoken, but in this luminous state of consciousness, I suddenly knew, like I just knew that I was being called, that it was time to come out of the closet and I'm to become an advocate for experiencers because the medical profession is doing harm mm -hmm. by labeling people as crazy for spiritual experiences. And the public is doing harm by labeling people as crazy. And the churches are doing harm by labeling it as work of the devil. And so when I came, this experience profoundly changed the, the course of the rest of my life that when I returned from that conference in California, I then publicly specialized my medical practice in the counseling and research of people who've had near-death experiences and other spiritually transformative experiences. And that has been the course of my life ever since. Wow. That's, it's, it's amazing. Um, there was one thing we talked about before we started about your last near-death experience, which you, you really need to stop dying, seriously. I mean, I know they're gifts and all, but- <laughs> Actually, I look forward to it because, you know, it's much nicer on the other side than here, let me tell you. <laughs> tell me a little bit about this last near-death experience you had. Yeah, my most recent near-death experience happened 
November the 8th, 2003. And in this near-death experience, I actually was completely dead for a period of time. And now I'm back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And what happened was I was at Niagara Falls, Ontario. And I'm going to start with two hours before I died. Um, I live about a two-hour drive from Niagara Falls, Ontario. And I like to go to Niagara Falls because I love the sound of the roar of the waterfalls. I go to the platforms and the tunnels underneath. beautiful. and I love to meditate there because that, that sound and the vibration is, is like the ohm vibration on the inside. And so when, if I meditate there, I find I go very deep very quickly. So as, as I like to do, uh, I went to Niagara Falls that particular evening and I was standing at the base of the falls and I was meditating and I went really deep really fast i was standing holding a railing facing the falls and i went really deep really fast and all of a sudden i slipped into a state of blessed communion eyes open eyes closed i was in communion in oneness with the Mm -hmm. spiritual realm and a being of light appeared to me it was mahavatar babashi and he telepathically or mentally communicated with me welcome home and I felt just so blessed, such great joy. I felt like it really is true. It is possible to experience oneness, unitive consciousness while still in form. It is possible. Little did I know that I was about to die two hours later. And I now wonder, and that's why I started with what happened, if this was simply my time karmically to to experience uh, a bit of nirvikalpa samadhi or 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 oneness uh, spiritual oneness or if this was my end of life experience because you know so many people have described now how at the end of people's lives for maybe for a few hours or sometimes for a few days it's like the veil's thin and they're mm-hmm. talking to departed loved ones or spirits on the other side mm-hmm. so this might have been my end of life experience So anyway, so I was still in this state of communion when I died two hours later. I slipped on black ice and I fell and I hit my head. I suffered a serious traumatic brain injury with a brain hemorrhage, lacerated both my frontal lobes. And instantly my spirit was whisked out of my body by a force greater than myself. And I found myself rapidly rushing upwards through a dark expanse of space. Some people might call it a tunnel, but to me, it felt like a dark expanse of space. And then I was approaching, it was like a doorway, um, uh, uh, radiating white light for the astral heaven, the white light realm. And I knew exactly where I was going and I wanted to be there um, because I knew from my previous near-death experience, the white light realm. But this time, interestingly, there were two beings of light, like waiting at the doorway, welcoming me. And these were two beings of light that I recognized instantly. They were saints from my particular spiritual tradition, Paramahansa Yogananda and Mahavatar Babaji. And the feeling as I entered the white light realm was of incredible joy, incredible love, of welcome. And the two telepathically communicated to me that my physical body had died, that my work in the incarnation as Dr. Yvonne Kaysan was completed. And it was like 
a celebration was happening in the light. It was like a graduation party or a birthday party. That was the feeling. And I was the guest of honor. You know, I made it. And there were other beings of light there, but I didn't um, distinguish faces or features. There was just this incredible feeling of love and joy. And then I remember, I guess a little part of my ego consciousness was still hanging on to me. It was like that little devil voice on your shoulder that you see depicted on TVs. This little part goes, uh-oh, here comes the life review. <laughs> because, you know, I... <laughs> exactly. Because I, I, you know, I'd learned enough about near-death experiences that when people actually finally die, they often get this life review. And I mean, I've tried to live a good life, but who hasn't made mistakes? So I didn't know what I would be shown in my life review. And it was so incredible and beautiful because the saints, they could read my mind. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And they, they turned and, and just glanced at me. And with the glance was this incredible transmission of understanding. And it was like this doubt was like a fleck of dust on my shoulder. And that glance just blew it right off, just gone. And the understanding that was transmitted to me was... The love, the profound love and understanding of the higher power is so much greater than the love of a, a loving parent who, when a child, when it's learning, the, the, the divine knows we will make mistakes as part of our learning. And that just as a child who say learning to walk will stumble, will fall, will skin its knees, will bump its head, might break something when it falls. That the loving parent doesn't punish the child, the loving parent embraces the child and encourages the child and lovingly says, you can try again. You'll do better next time. That that was the sort of love that I was being welcomed with on the other side. Don't worry about it. You know, mm. don't worry about it. And so... I just, my heart, soul, spirit just opened and I just basked in um, that incredible, unrestrained, unconditional, total love. And then my consciousness or sense of awareness, I mean, it's hard to put words to what happens on the other side, but it's like I shifted and I shifted out of a, a, a state where I was like visually seeing things into a state of um, knowing and understanding that was incredibly expansive. And it was like my consciousness had expanded from a, you know, a, a two gig mini computer to some massive mega computer. And my consciousness could take in vast amounts of information all at once. And it was like, I just instantly re-remembered all of my past lives. And it was like, oh, you know, like, of course. Yeah, I remember now. <laughs> like, how could I have forgotten that? And and it was like an, an aha moment for my soul because suddenly with the memory back of all of my past lives, my incarnation in the, the body of Dr. Yvonne Kason suddenly made sense because I'd always thought my life was a bit odd. 
there I am I'm this little doctor practicing in Toronto Canada and I'm having I've had five near-death experiences you know kundalini awakening mystical experiences clairvoyance clairaudience past life recall you you name it I wrote the book on spiritually transformative experiences because I was having all of them and and I saw when I was on the other side that maybe from a worldly ego perspective, that seemed odd, you know, for this little person here in Toronto. But from a soul perspective, it made complete sense. Mm. Because from a soul perspective, my soul was just continuing on from what I've been like in past lives. This is not my first incarnation having near-death experiences. This is not my first incarnation being a mystic. This is not my first incarnation having Kundalini awakening. I've had been this way for many incarnations. And, and it just, all of a sudden, it felt like I found who I was. And it's like my soul fit within my skin. That's the best way to describe it. It's like, yeah, now I remember who I really am. Yeah, now I remember who I really am. And it was a deep and profound experience. Anyway, there's much that transpired on the other side that's really, really difficult to put into words. But I'm, I want to explain one more thing, which is quite um, uh, notable about mm. the time on the other side, which is about the passage of time, is that time... I was very aware that time was not passing the same on the other side, the way that we experience it down here on earth, that, that we here on earth experience time linearly. Like there's the past, then comes the present, then comes the future. And, mm -hmm. and we have experience it one after the other, but on the other side, that was not how I was experiencing time at all. It was, I call it timeless time because there was this sense that time was fluid and could bend and that from the state of consciousness on the other side, past, present, and future were all perceptible at the same time. And it was only a matter of where I put the, 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 the focus of my concentration, whether I would be perceiving what we here on earth would perceive as the past, or mm. perceiving what we here on earth see as the present, or perceiving as we what we here on earth perceive as the future because over there it's it's almost as if they're all happening at the same time or they can all be viewed at the same time but with the understanding that down here it's experienced in a linear fashion anyway after a period of what i call timeless time because the, the sense of time is very different on the other side suddenly the two beings of light paramahansa yogananda and mahavatar babaji they reappear to me and they telepathically communicated to me, um, you may now choose to incarnate in the body of a babe to further serve the divine and or to go back to the maimed body. And my heart was like wide open. I was in a state of complete um openness trust surrender knowing of the wisdom of the divine plan for each and every soul um my heart it seemed like it was my heart that responded my intellectual mind was resting somewhere in the background it was my heart that responded and what came out of my heart was oh masters please guide me what is the higher choice 
I want to do God's will. And so lovingly, like how a telepathic thought could be ex so exquisitely loving is really hard to describe, but it was telepathic with this exquisite love and tenderness. They telepathically communicated to me, it will be more difficult, but to return to the injured body. And immediately, like my ego didn't kick in and ask any questions about like, what do you mean more difficult? No, nothing like that. It was, I was just in such a state of trust, mm. openness and surrender that immediately my soul responded, I accept. And boom, it was so fast. It was faster than the speed of thought because it was between the thought I and the thought accept that... <gasps> With a gasp of breath, I found myself suddenly waking up in my previously dead body, breathing life back into it, lying on the ground in Niagara Falls. And for the first few minutes, it's hard to know because my sense of time was completely mm -hmm. off. I could see both realms at the same time. It was like a, a double image photograph that both realms were superimposed one upon the other. I could see the white light realm completely and the two masters, they were right with me. It was like they ushered me right back into my body. And I could see the physical realm around me that I was waking up to. And then gradually, gradually, the white light realm over the course of many minutes started fading from my view until it became just a dot in my perception, which is still there. And that dot has been like a life ring, uh, helping me through the very, very, very difficult years that came after I revived in my previously dead body, because I came back to a body that was disabled with a serious traumatic brain injury right and i was um disabled for over 12 years oh, wow. uh, yeah yeah and in medical science they say two to three years to recover from a neurological injury and if you've not recovered then it's permanent mm -hmm. and um and so i had to accept with time, although I did everything you can imagine, all complementary therapies, traditional therapies, neuro rehab. I went to neuro rehab for seven years trying to get better, but I had to accept that for whatever reason in the divine plan that um, I was now a disabled person. And I thought my worldly life was completely done. I couldn't do public talks like this anymore. I couldn't write books. I couldn't practice as a doctor. I couldn't, um, uh, I couldn't even use a keyboard on my computer. I'd lost that ability. All sorts of challenges. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so I came to eventually accept that for whatever reason, this was the way it was. And that how I would serve now, I came to understand, was through my prayer and meditation. That that was the only way I could serve. I couldn't serve in the word world outwardly anymore. I, that chapter was over. And I now I tried to make the best of the chapter where I was disabled and I served through my prayer and meditation. So I focused very intently in relearning how to meditate, which was one of the things I lost in the brain injury. It took many, many years to get my ability to meditate back. And then just when you figure you know what God's plan is for your life, mm -hmm. ha ha, God will surprise you because everything changed. Suddenly, 
more than 12 years after I became disabled on February 24th, 2016, when I was meditating in Encinitas, California on a holy spot where the um, retreat temple is right on top of a spot where Paramahansa Yogananda used to go into Samadhi and commune with God. I love to meditate at holy spots. It helps me go deep fast. I was meditating there this particular day. And all of a sudden, in the middle of my meditation, I experienced a miracle. What mm. happened was suddenly there was like an eruption of liquid light in the center of my brain. I could perceive it inwardly. And it was like the center of my brain had been in darkness for 12 years. And now suddenly the lights came on and, and it, was, it was luminous with light, this liquid light flowing in it. And subjectively what it felt like was waking up like you know that my brain had woken up after being asleep for 12 years and at the same time just all of these ideas came like a floodgate had opened because you know my 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 long-term memory my insight my judgment think of it like the hard drive of my brain had not been injured but other things had been injured like the keyboard and the screen so you couldn't get any of the stuff out that was on the hard drive but now suddenly with this miracle, the keyboard and the screen and we're working again and um, the floodgate opened and all of these ideas that I should share in my future books were, were <laughs> flooding through my consciousness. And I got the very strong inner guidance, pass on what you have learned. And so I started writing again, like avidly writing again after this brain healing. And the first book I wrote was Over My Shoulder, They Were Touched by the Light, came out in 2019, and which is sort of a, um, a compilation of over 100 stories of, patient, of people I've spoken to, their spiritual awakening stories, all different kinds of spiritually transformative experiences. Then the second book I wrote after my brain healing is the one that just came out, Soul Lessons from the Light. So this is my personal spiritual awakening story with details of, of some of the peak experiences that I've had. And, mm. and to me, this book is really, really special for two reasons. One, first off, because it's the product of the miracle. Mm -hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't have written this book um, had it not been for that miracle healing that I experienced in 2016. And, um, you know, I, I stand here as a living testimonial to people. I, I like to say to people when I talk now that um, no matter what the challenges are that you're having in life, because people have different challenges, but everybody has challenges, never give up hope. Because you never know when the divine hand might step in and surprise you mm -hmm. and a miracle might happen. And I'm mm -hmm. a living testimonial to that, that miracles do happen. I am the living proof. Well, Yvonne, it, it, your stories have been uh, transformative, uh, to say the least. They've been very entertaining. You are very entertaining. You have wonderful energy. Uh, I love your laugh. It's wonderful. As well, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions to ask all of sure. us. What is your definition of living a fulfilled life? I think living a fulfilled life is uh, experiencing firsthand your direct relationship with the loving higher power and uh, being able to be an instrument of the divine in whatever small way spirit is calling you to do that. 
And that is what gives me fulfillment. If you can get in a time machine and go back in time and, and speak to the little girl that used to be you, what would you, what advice would you give her? I would tell her everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. How do you define, how do you define God? How do I define God? I define God based on my personal experiences of God mm -hmm. uh, rather than a mental construct or anything I've read in a book and how I experienced God, how I've experienced God through the blessed glimpses that I've been given is of this incredible, loving force with infinite intelligence that has this beautiful plan for all of us to have these wonderful, very diverse, very interesting experiences as our souls are learning and growing through many incarnations over many lives. And that it's the divine design of this loving intelligence force that we're all going to have a happy ending, that we're all eventually going to find our way home. We might get lost for a while, for a long time, mm -hmm. but this is what I perceived. And that's the beauty of the divine plan is that, is that we're all going to make it home in the end. And that by following the little hints and clues that spirit is trying to give us through whispers or sometimes by explosive experiences, that that will help us find the path that's going to lead us to that um, soul awareness of our true nature as children of God. And where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? All right. Well, I'm, I founded a couple of years ago an organization called Spiritual Awakenings International. Uh, that, again, was another calling I received from Spirit to found this organization. And uh, it has grown and blossomed. We now have subscribers from 78 countries around the world, which just blows my mind. And I think it just confirms that spiritual awakenings are happening to people all over the world. And uh, our website is spiritualawakeningsinternational.org. And you can reach me there or you can find out about the events that we're having. We have monthly speaker events where people talk about their spiritual awakening experiences. We have sharing circles in English and in Spanish. And uh, we have this great conference coming up in June, June 10th and 11th, an online conference. It's free on a donation basis. So if people want to learn about any of this, uh, go to my website website spiritualweightnewsinternational.org and if you want to learn more about my book you can go to my my personal website which is dryvonkason.com so d-r-y-v-o-n-n-e-k-a-s-o-n.com and my book is called soul lessons from the light i hope you enjoy it and do you have any parting messages for the audience yes my parting message is what i met said previously never give up hope you know, I'm a walking testimonial that miracles could happen. And if a miracle could happen to me, it could happen to you. You never know. Dr. Yvonne, thank you so much for sharing your stories, your bravery and, and sharing them publicly and for all the amazing work you're doing. So thank you again, my dear. Thank you. I want to thank Yvonne so much for coming on the show and sharing her journey with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 273. 
And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.